0: Because aging starts now.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Aging Starts Now. I'm Dana Henschel, and I'm the Outreach Coordinator for Takeus McGinnis Elder Care Law. And today we are talking about when it's time to part ways with your assisted living community. What are common annoyances of communal li- living versus what is blatant disregard for someone's well being? Joining us today for this discussion is one of our elder care coordinators, Patty Bedwell. Welcome, Patty.
2: Thank you, Dana. Thanks for having me.
1: You're very welcome. So you've chosen a facility, and it isn't everything that you hoped it would be, which can sometimes happen. Um, Let's start with something minor, but very important, food. Um, And as an example, we had someone call our office once wanting to do a class action lawsuit because the food wasn't up to the promised standards um, or what was presented on the brochure. Um, but what recourse does one have if they are displeased with the food? I mean, is that is food a common complaint or, you know, will it be better elsewhere? Is that worth changing communities?
2: Huh. Well, that's an awfully big question, but I can tell you food is one of the top complaints. Actually, it's the second um, uh, complaint highest complaint in for residents in licensed facilities. And it really doesn't matter if it's an assisted living facility or a nursing home or really anywhere. Um, that's why one of the things I recommend when you start looking for a place is to look at their menus, ask to have a meal there, try the food, see what you think of it. Um, is it seasoned? Is, it, is seasoning available? Um, is the variety in the menus are they repetitive? Um, do they have choices? Is there more than one main choice, or are there, you know, other things that you can get? Soup, sandwiches, things like that. Um, <clears throat> what about snacks? Are they provided or not? Um, knowing who to address the complaint to is important. In some facilities, they would prefer that food complaints be directed directly to the food service director, or it goes through their regular complaint process. And that, you know, you need to know where that starts, too. Also ask, is there any kind of a resident group that takes on food complaints or discusses the food in the facility, maybe does, you know, special menu requests and things like that? And if there's not, is that something that you can start or that can be started? Um, Like a resident council. Uh, Resident council. They're not mandated to have those in assisted living facilities, but many places do. Um, So that's a good thing to know.
1: So, and if the resident council, they put up a complaint um, and it just goes unanswered, uh, because, you know, when I found when budgets got tight at assisted livings, the food was always the first thing to be cut. Like oh, yes. The mm-hmm. DSD, the um, so budget was a lot smaller and they had to kind of stretch the food out, even though it's one of the most important things to the residents. So if your complaints go unanswered or, you know, you're not getting the coffee, when you wanted and you were promised that you could eat your breakfast at 10 and you're not being able to eat your breakfast at 10 um, and that your complaints are falling upon deaf ears. Can you complain outside of the facility?
2: Uh, yeah, you certainly can. There's uh, agencies out there that can help. Uh, the ombudsman, the long dis- uh, long-term district ombudsman, program is an option. You know, they're the group that handles a resident. Um, uh, they work to, up, to see that resident rights are upheld and that residents have good quality of life and facilities and they help handle uh, complaints. I was an ombudsman for many years and I can tell you food is one of the number one complaints. So the ombudsman is one uh, person or one agency that you could look at, uh, you could reach out to. And to find them, every facility is mandated to provide the ombudsman information. So there'll be a poster with the ombudsman, contact information, and a summation of what they do. You'll find that in every assisted living facility that's licensed in the state. And then it will also uh, is usually included in your admission paperwork or that packet of information that everybody gets. And then if you're exhausted, um, if that didn't work, you know, of course, let me back up. Before I would go to the ombudsman, I would address concerns directly with the facility, whether they're food or regardless of what that concern is, Um find out what that complaint policy is. How do you go about, uh, who do you go to with a complaint? And what can you expect as far as timing on resolution or at least hearing back? Um, So that's always important. And if you can't get things taken care of, then you go to the ombudsman. If that doesn't work and things are still, you know, not going the way you want, um, you can always refer to the Department of Health. There is a complaint hotline that you can call and then they will come in and they will address the complaint that way. Um, calling the hotline usually is not as quick an investigation as if um, as if you call the ombudsman, mainly because... Um, the state surveyors and those that investigate those complaints, um, a lot of complaints related to food and maybe things that are not life threatening are addressed when they come in to do their annual survey. So you may not get your complaint looked at or even investigated for several months. Okay. Um, The ombudsman usually can get to a facility and the resident to start on something like that within a few days. And then if they see that it rises to a certain level, then they can petition to the state as well. And sometimes that gets things going a little bit quicker. But it's really best if you start um, at the facility with the facility staff i found over the years that most complaints handled in-house usually lead to a better resolution, long-term resolution and a, um, happiness, maybe, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, contentment with the situation for the residents and families.
1: Well, so what if something a little bit more serious is happening? Uh, let's say mom says that her call light is going unanswered. I mean, what what do you do? I mean, as her advocate and power of attorney, can you check records to see if this is the case? Because I know sometimes people say that they call and nobody ever comes, and sometimes that's accurate reporting and sometimes it's not. But can you kind of follow up with the call records to, to investigate further yourself? And if it is the case, then... Who do you chat with and, and what recourse do you have? Well, you have hit
2: on the number one complaint in that licensed facilities is the staff response time, um, call light response time. Uh, one of the first things you should uh, consider is where it is that, that you're talking about. You know, call light Times will be different in a nursing home than in an assisted living facility. So in a nursing home, it's not unusual for a call light to be answered in five minutes or less, five to 10 minutes. Um, In an assisted living facility, sometimes that's pretty quick. You know, sometimes it takes a little bit longer because there's not as many staff members, there's not as many residents needing um, one-on-one assistance, maybe. Um, So it may take a little longer for someone to get to a resident in an assisted living facility. Now, whether you could look at their call light system to check the uh, response time, that would be up to the facility if they have that availability or that capability. And if they're going to share that with um, the family, they
1: may so or they may not. That, that brings up good questions, because first of all, about setting expectations, because I think families who've never been down this road before, um, may have a different set of expectations than the reality. So will you tell me that somebody in a nursing home, 10 minutes waiting for their call to be answered is pretty quick and it's going to be slower in an assisted living. Well, that, that does not meet my current expectations. So if you could just talk a little bit about expectations so that families know. And then secondly, do they, I I would make the assumption and maybe it's the wrong assumption that if I asked how long did it take you to answer my loved one's call light, that they should be able to pull that report, maybe not show me the report, but give me that information. And you're telling me that's not necessarily true. Yes. Yep. That that's true.
2: Some of that information is not. I mean, even if you are someone's uh, healthcare power of attorney and you do have the right to look at their medical records, not everything is included in their medical records. And call light response time. I could imagine the facility argues that's an internal document. That's not part of anyone's medical record. So therefore, it would not be privy to the families to have that information. Now, they may give it to you just just because, but they don't have to. So knowing expectations or or knowing what to expect is very, very helpful. And I mean, think about it from a logical perspective. A lot of our assisted livings are multi-floors. So, say you have some lay, somebody on the third floor who needs assistance, and she pulls her, her cord or she she alerts the staff that she needs assistance. Well, if the staff has to, to get up to the fourth floor, you know, maybe there's not a staff member on the fourth floor at that particular time, and they have to wait for the elevator, get up the elevator and go, you know, and all that. So... Sometimes you need to consider the environment. Is it feasible for me to think that someone could be here in 10 minutes to help my loved one? Or is that a little unreasonable? Is there something else I need to set up with the staff so maybe my loved one doesn't have to wait? Maybe instead of me, of my loved one putting the call light on every hour or two hours to go to the bathroom. Can we maybe set up a toileting schedule where staff will come in at a regular time? Maybe they come in every two hours or every two and a half hours and toilet my loved one, or at least ask, you know, maybe there's another way to go other than just engaging a call light or an alarm of some sort. And as far as what's the best way to check the call light response time, I always did it myself. You know, when I was an ombudsman and that was the major complaint, I would go into a room, I would engage the call light, and then I'd just sit down with the resident and wait. And we'd just see how long it took. Then you have some real information that you can take back to the powers that be at the facility and say, hey, you know what? I understand it takes a little while for you to get up to where Mama is,
1: but forty minutes is far too long. Gotcha. Those are great, great points. I think knowing reasonable expectations and then kind of checking it yourself um, if you're not privy to the reports. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and and along the lines of expectations, falls. So maybe your loved one was falling a lot at home and that's part of the reason that you placed them in a community. Um, And I think that if your father or mother were, they were falling a lot at home, they're not going to magically be cured once they go into a community. But when is falling multiple times to be expected because of the nature of disease your loved one has, and when is it, no one's watching my loved one?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, that's a pretty fine line sometimes, but so you need to start out by looking at the falls, you know, and try to get as much information about what happened as you can. So where was, you know, where was my dad when he fell? Was he in his room? Was he in the dining room? Was he a, Did he trip over something? Did someone push him? You know, what happened? Um, is he weaker? Is he, is this a physical thing? Is he more unsteady? You know, do we need to maybe get him evaluated? Does he maybe have a UTI? Is there something else going on with him, would therapy be helpful? Um, and then kind of look, what what can we do to kind of lessen his chances of falling? So, you know, residents spend a lot of time in their room. Um, is that room, you know, fall proof? What is, uh, can you go in and make sure there's nothing disruptive on the floor, there's no cords, the, the, the furniture, you know, maybe the furniture is cluttered looking, so the resident can table walk around the room, you know, is that appropriate, or is that, you know, is that another issue to consider, Um <clears throat> People often go in or place someone in an assisted living thinking that, okay, they're never going to fall again. That's why we're paying this money. Um, And that's definitely not true. If someone is going to fall, there's, you know, there's things you can do to try to lessen the hurt that they might incur you know, there, is their bed as low to the ground as as possible? You know, do they now have a walker to use so they have something that they can have for support? Um, you know, really looking and talking with the staff because this is another area of partnership for the family and the staff to work on. You know, hey, dad falls a lot. What can we do together as a team to mitigate that, you know, to lessen that. um, Are there activities that we can um, bring in to keep him entertained or occupied so that he has something to do uh, so that maybe he spends more time out in the activity room than he does by himself in the, uh, in his own apartment, you know, so really looking at those kinds of things and working Openly with the staff to to try to find a resolution is helpful. but Also, just knowing that there's no way that any place is going to keep your loved one upright all the time. Um, That's another expectation that I think people need to manage a little
1: bit more. Right. So let's just say that you you made the move. You're not happy as the, the daughter or son or power of attorney. Um, you've talked with the staff. You don't feel like you're being heard. Um, when is it just time to say, this isn't working out and we're going to part ways? Because I think we all know moves for anybody can be really traumatic, especially for a senior. And it can be uh, detrimental for someone with dementia, depending upon the stage they are at, at their disease. Um, When is it, you know, I don't love it here, but it's not worth moving. And when does, when is it, we've got to get mom or dad out of here?
2: (laughs) Well, um, there again, that's one of those questions that there's not one good answer for it. And you're right, moves are traumatic, I think, for most of us, and they're worse for for people with dementia or or really any kind of cognitive impairment. So it's best to try to minimize moves, if at all possible. But then I think we have to keep that in perspective, too, where it may take maybe two weeks or so for um, mom to acclimate to the new facility and for things to settle and you find your new normal That's just two weeks. So if you're going into the facility and every day is just a lesson in frustration and things are just not getting better and things are getting worse, and most importantly, your loved one is not happy, that's really where you need to look at. Um, And just weigh, weigh the pros and cons. Are these negative issues big enough to force a move? And then look honestly, I mean, really hard and honestly at your loved one and ask yourself, is this a move in their best interest or is this a move I'm considering because of what I think? You know, do I just think mom would be happier somewhere else? Um, Is this a problem that I see? Does this problem really affect mom in the same way that I think it does?
1: I think those are really good points and great advice. And we, uh, we've, we're at our time today, so I could talk with you forever about this, um, but that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Take us McGinnis is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now.
0: Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the Free Resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com document downloads, the Take Us McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there, free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging starts now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.